You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, we bow before you in gratitude for the worship and for the worship that's brought us to this point of an open word and the Spirit's presence to receive this gospel message. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus has a lot to say on the subject of children. And this week in studying the passage in preparation for uh, this moment, I was really struck by the narrative flow, by the story of Jesus in the Gospels and how he develops his understanding and our understanding of children. They were coming into Capernaum, and the disciples on the road were arguing And Jesus, when they came into the house and sat down, he called the twelve and he said, what were you arguing about on the road? And somewhat embarrassingly, they said, who is the greatest? And Jesus said he, he took a child and he placed the child among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Really phenomenal. The the occasion of just receiving a child as as a lesson, object lesson to the disciples who are debating who's the greatest among them. And... Jesus saying that if you receive this child, you embrace this child, you accept this child, you're not only accepting me, but you're accepting the Father. A kind of Trinitarian moment in the midst of this living room. And you find throughout this narrative this this kind of tracing that three times Jesus will talk about children in relationship to adult problems. And he sets these, the adult problems, in contrast to the reception and modeling that children provide for us. A few years ago, when Ben Kawashi was with us, uh, an Anglican archbishop in the central plateau region of Nigeria, and he and his wife Gloria have suffered uh, intensely because of their faith in the gospel. And uh, I read her book after his visit because I was so impressed with him. And in that book, she describes a night. He was away, but people had come for him. Thirty men had come to attack him, but finding him not there, they attacked Gloria. And they beat her up and raped her, and she almost died. And she looks back on that night as a defining moment for two reasons. One, she realized that night about the brevity of life. And secondly, the need to rescue children. 
I was moved by the fact that the young men who carried out these evil acts are also children with mothers. As far as I'm concerned, this fact calls for positive action to help mothers raise God-fearing children so that they will be no, there will be no room for those who want to recruit young minds for evil. This is the urgency I feel about preaching the gospel to youth and children. Gloria speaks of having six womb children and 300 adopted children. What makes orphans into orphans is the fact that they've lost their parents. These children will not recover from their loss unless you give them what they've lost, parents. Parenting is crucial for orphans, and good parenting is about far more than giving children things or a fancy house to live in. So this is how I go about parenting the children we've adopted, many of whom come from terrible situations. Some of them have been physically and sexually abused by their loved ones and those who are supposed to take care of them. What Ben and I strive to do is to let them see that parents are good to have. Their birth parents are not around, but God has brought other parents into their lives to give them what they are missing. We show them what it means to be a Christian, to be a responsible person in society today. We teach them about the joy of giving, of touching other people's lives. I'm not sure who qualifies as an ideal adopting parent. I know I don't. Our two boys uh, were adopted in Toronto, uh, Canada. We, I was there to study. Virginia was working two jobs to help us survive. We were poor. We were in a one-bedroom urban apartment in a not very, uh, not very special high-rise. And for some reason, God took the initiative with us so that we would take the initiative. And we went through the paperwork and the physicals and the home studies for adopting. We did not do that to in any way save the world one child at a time. Nothing that spiritual. We wanted a child. And the one adoption led to a second adoption and the Lord uh, blessed that initiative in our lives and kind of made us take initiative in ways that I look back now and I'm just sort of shocked that we did that. And yet the Lord blessed in a wonderful way. I was not able to have children because of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 18. And uh, the doctors said it was probably highly unlikely. And then after 10 years, our, our daughter was born naturally. And I guess as a family, we would testify to the fact that the, there's very little difference between adoption and conception. But you don't know how much better, <laughs> you wouldn't, I can't say how much my children have helped me with the word of God and with understanding the gospel and with sharing with people and that humanizing, powerful humanizing reality of, um, of kids has just been a wonderful blessing for Virginia and myself. And I'll testify with Jesus today that to embrace the child, not because the child's cute or innocent or the next generation, 
but because the child is needy, because the child is vulnerable. And that picture is the picture of what Christ would have us look at ministry. And we're always, I think, doing this ministry sort of from the ground up. But after, so we have Jesus emphasizing the child comes first, not because they're great, but because they need help. And then Jesus talks about an occasion in which uh, the disciples were concerned that somebody was doing work in the name of Jesus and performing miracles, but they didn't know them. The disciples didn't know them. And that kind of sectarianism that was right there manifest, uh, and Jesus' response to that was, again, to look to children. And he says this, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, young disciples, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And he goes on, if your hand causes you to stumble, if your foot, if your eye, cut it out. Now he's not advocating here self-mutilation, but he is advocating self-mortification. That's how serious Jesus takes our relationship with our children. And not just our children in that nuclear family sense, but our children in the inclusive, God-ordained sense. That seriously. He knocks down sectarianism, but at the same time, he lifts up the seriousness with which we understand how the gospel's being communicated and modeled to children. You know, I think if you make it with children, you'll make it with the other generations too. But I think they have the priority. And then Jesus talks about divorce. In the 9 o'clock service, the message was really on family and marriage and divorce. In the Mark passage here of his description on divorce, Jesus left that place, went into a region of Judea and across the Jordan, and again crowds are following him, and some of the Pharisees come to him and say, well, what's your position on divorce? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And I think Jesus already, the reputation had spread that he was very conservative when it came to divorce. And Jesus says, well, what did Moses command you? And he replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And they're quoting Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus responds, it was because your hearts are hard that that permission was granted. And Jesus here in Mark, and Mark records Jesus, the emphasis is on the exclusive, permanent, holy marriage commitment. At the beginning of creation, God made male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that no, there are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And in the early 9 o'clock service, Andrew emphasized that this one flesh relationship is not a balancing of 
two people's perspectives, but it's a crash in which forged in that crash is a oneness. Not easily obtained, but it's not a question of balance, it's a question of sacrifice. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And there are grounds for divorce that are discussed in Scripture. Jesus does concede that pornea, immorality, sexual immorality, can lead to the death of a relationship. He gives permission. He never gives command that that should be such. What Jesus holds out for is the the beauty and the permanency and the sacrifice of the marriage commitment and the marriage covenant. Well, the disciples are floored by this because Jesus has taken the whole issue of divorce out of the camp of the lawyers and out of the gender bias that favors the male and he makes it a heart issue, not a legal issue, and not a gender issue. He makes it a heart issue. And they're trying to grasp this. They're trying, this is something that is a, a more exclusive and more severe understanding from their standpoint. And at that moment, people are bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them But the disciples rebuked them. So once again, the disciples just don't get it. They're debating greatness instead of receiving. They are uh, floored by Jesus' strong word on marriage. And here now they're preventing mothers from bringing their children to Jesus. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was angry. I really would like to know as a disciple what anger on Jesus looked like. But I'd probably use it just for justification. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, there's a difference between children being immortality symbols, almost idols through which we live our life vicariously. And we set children up as sort of the epitome of our success. That's wrong, and it's does not compute for gospel-oriented people. But here there's a place for acknowledging the great need for children to be received, to be blessed, and if you don't come like a little child into the kingdom of God, you're not going to enter the kingdom. And what's the story that comes next? The story of the rich young ruler. So again, you keep getting these contrasts. And here the contrast is between children who have nothing to offer, who are received and blessed because they are the kingdom, Jesus says, in contrast to a rich young ruler who, for many of us as parents, we would like our children to be like this rich young ruler. Moral, well-educated, 
and in power. But that's not the vision that Jesus has, and the rich young ruler ends up going away sad. Children are a priority. They're our chief concern, and they are our model for how we come to God in Christ. Unless you come as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. A couple in San Diego that I married, uh, Tim was a fireman for uh, San Diego Fire Department, um, a huge man, a, a very strong, uh, biked on a Harley Davidson. Uh, he was a man's man. Heidi was a petite blonde, small. And in our six-week premarital discussion together, the last time we go through the vows, and I have them read the vows after me. And as Heidi started reading her vows, she couldn't stop crying, just weeping. And uh, Tim was getting kind of nervous, and I assured him that she wasn't weeping because she didn't want to marry him. But she was uncontrollably weeping. And we paused, we took time, uh, and then we laughed about it after. But Tim was really embarrassed, I think, of Heidi. So two days later, we come to the service. And Heidi is just 110% there. I mean, you, it's just, you, you, it's interesting to watch brides on their wedding day because they're more than there. They're so present and picking up everything. They're not in any way uh, in a haze like usually the grooms are. Um, and Heidi was just radiant. And we start with the vows. Um, and she does her vows beautifully. And then Tim starts to weep. I mean, he's sobbing. And I was reduced to giving one word going through the vows. You take this. And, we, and it was, to me, it was a beautiful picture of the humility that all of us need in coming into the presence of God and receiving his gospel. We come as little children, maybe aware as little children, of the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ to us. Well, here's my conclusion. The Lord turns everything upside down. The people who deserve our attention are on the bottom, not the top. Normal adult issues, sensitivities, problems, and priorities pale in comparison to welcoming and nurturing these little ones for Christ and his kingdom. Children embody the prerequisites for discipleship because they're needy and dependent. Jesus teaches us to care for his children first in order of service, to attend to their growth as our greatest concern, to see in them our best example for grace at work and to follow their lead in humble dependence upon our Lord and Savior. Our children serve as redemptive analogies within the household of faith, reminding us of the Father's love of the Son's sacrifice, and of the Spirit's filling. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.